Well, in the grace, mercy, and peace of our loving Lord Jesus Christ, I want to welcome each and every one to our service of worship and celebration. It's always good to get together in the house of the Lord and to be able to worship our God. First, let me express a few uh, family matters that we have before we begin our service. And the first one I always like to start off with is a really warm welcome to anyone who's visiting with us for the first time today, or even maybe a second or third time, know that you are welcome. And your visit is very important to us. We don't really keep records, but there is a little visitor's welcome card in the pew there in front of you. And if you want to fill that out and leave it at the uh, welcome center in the gym following the service, that would just be helpful for us to have a record of your visit. Discipleship Explored has now been launched. It's one of our small group uh, initiatives this time around. So please see the small group bulletin board in the foyer for the groups that are meeting and the times they're meeting. All of the groups are meeting every other week. So it's not a weekly commitment, it's a bi-weekly commitment, okay? There is one following the service today at 12. And if you would like to see if you can fit into that one, just have a chat with me because I'm leading that one, okay? And we'll talk about it later. Next Sunday is uh, the Family Day weekend. And the, the uh, children's workers have been working hard, or I think it's them. I'm not sure who's doing it. But anyway, we're having a pancake and sausage breakfast for lunch. No, next Sunday. All right, but you're ready, aren't you? <laughs> It's going to be served for lunch instead of for breakfast, and we're going to have a great time of fellowship following the service, so you just come on over to the gym and have a pancake and sausage. But the best part of that day is my favorite part. We're going to have a giveaway sale. And that means we're going to have some tables set up with a whole pile of books on them. And anybody who wants anything off those tables, you can just take them, okay? And if you, uh, if you want to feel that, you know, you'd have to leave a little something, there'll be a donation bucket there for the KW uh, Food Bank if you want to leave a little thing there for that. Also, Laura Poulter let me know that tax receipts are now ready for 2023. So she's going to have a table set up in the cafe following the service, and you can go there and pick up your 2023 tax receipt if you'd like. Following this morning's service, be sure to join us in the gym for the SPBC Cafe. Uh, enjoy some fellowship uh, alongside a coffee, a cookie. Family really does matter here at Stanley Park, and we're glad that you're here to be a part of it. I'm going to turn the service over now to the worship team. Good morning, everyone. Please stand if you're able for worship. Trembles at his voice 
Lord of all creation Of water, earth, and sky Everything's all your tabernacle Glory to Lord on high God of wonders beyond our galaxy this time I'd like to pray for the kids and for the offering. 
God, we just thank you so much for the Bible Town kids, Lord. We just thank you for the teachers, Lord. We just pray that you bless them as they learn about you and about your word. And I just pray that they would have fun and that they would love to be together. And we just thank you for the volunteers. And Lord, we just thank you as, Lord, we bring the tithes and the offerings before you. Lord, I just pray that you would use it to further your kingdom. And we just thank you for the generous hearts of the people here. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus the Nazarene I wonder how he could love me A sinner condemned unclean For me he was in the garden He prayed not my will but thine He had no tears for his own graves But sweat drops of blood for mine So I sing Marvelous and oh, how wonderful am a song shall ever be. And oh, how marvelous and oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. soul that night So he took my sins and my sorrows and made them his very He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone So I sing Oh how marvelous and oh how wonderful in my song something glory His face I at last shall see It will be my joy through the ages To sing of His love for me So I stand amazed in the presence Of Jesus the Nazarene I wonder how He could love me A sinner condemned on clean So I say Song shall ever be. And oh, how marvelous and oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. And oh, how marvelous and oh, how wonderful am my song shall be. And oh, how 
Indeed, Lord Jesus, even as we have finished singing the words of that beautiful hymn, we come and we stand in your glorious presence this morning. And yes, we do wonder. We wonder how you, the one who is absolutely holy and pure, could ever love us the way that you do, Jesus. It simply goes beyond our understanding, goes beyond reason. To know that you love us so much that you would give your sinless life for us, for me, dying in our place, in my place, paying the price for our sin, for my sin, loving us, loving us unconditionally, completely. Indeed, how our hearts sing out. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, how marvelous, how wonderful, how absolutely incredible to be accepted, to be loved by the eternal creator, sovereign God of the entire universe. Thank you. Jesus, thank you for not only accepting us and leaving us as you found us, but lovingly coming alongside of us, carefully working within us, doing all the things that you do to work all things out for our own good, changing us from the inside out, filling us with your Holy Spirit, renewing our minds, our hearts, and yes, even bringing our will into line with your own. How marvelous. How wonderful. Loving Father, we know that in spite of all that you have done for us, our lives still fall so far short in comparison to the love you have for us. Father, we admit that we are selfish. We're self-centered. We're more interested in ourselves than we are in what is best for others and, and in the things that you are doing all around us in the world. Forgive us. Help us to see others the way that you do. Help us to love others the way that you love. To help, to encourage, to inspire just as you do. Indeed, Lord Jesus, forgive us for all our sins. For they are many, and we are not worthy. Help us to honestly confess our sins, our failures, our shortcomings to you. We ask that you might cleanse us afresh, make us whole once again, creating a clean and pure and holy spirit within us. Lord God, we know that we are a needy people, so we come before you confessing that every person gathered in this room and all who are joining us online this morning, we are all needy, each one of us in a different place in our lives with you. We need to know your love in a new way, 
We need to know your provision, your healing, gentle touch, your forgiveness, and so much more. So we pray for each other. We ask that you will do whatever work needs to be done in our lives, meeting us at those places of our deepest needs, whether, in our li- whether it, it be to experience your amazing love afresh or, or simply to know your gentle, correcting hand upon us. Whatever the need, whatever it takes, please meet us there. We think of those who have ongoing physical needs today. We especially want to pray for Doug as he continues his stay at Freeport. We pray for Anne, who is able to be at home and thankful that, that she has help there that she needs. We can always continue to pray for Janice and, and your blessing on her life. For Paul, for Alice and Leo, for Ken, Dick, Andrew, Nancy and Harvey, Murray and Matt, and for any others who need to know your healing hand upon them, touch them, heal them, restore, bless. Be Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. We pray for those who have recently experienced loss. And we ask that in those moments when the grief seems too much for us, wipe the tears and comfort the sorrow. Bless each heart in your gentle love. We especially lift up the Smirthwaite family to you at this time. Thankful that Stan is at home with you, and yet knowing that there is an empty place in the family circle. We pray for those who are simply getting older, having to learn to live with bodies that are aging and, and, and with the limitations that come with that, the many indignities that often accompany the aging experience. Help us to be strong when we are weak, to be gracious when we can't do what we once did. Touch us afresh with your love. Meet us at the broken places of our lives. Restore our damaged emotions. Heal the wounds we live with, even as you would release us from the things that hold us hostage and keep us from experiencing your fullness. We pray for our church. We pray for those who work hard to make things happen just as smoothly as they do. We pray for each other and the goodness of belonging to a family of believers. And now, dear Lord, as we gather around your word, may we be attentive to the leading of your spirit as you would remind us afresh of the greatness of the faith that you have blessed us with as it leads us into a glorious hope that is ours through the living Lord Jesus Christ, in whose most strong and powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, thank you to our worship team. Thank you to uh, Pastor Paul for leading us in that time of prayer. And thank you, you, for being here today, uh, joining us in this time of worship. Uh, It's always a privilege to to be here together and to worship our God in spirit and truth. Uh, It's a freedom we should never take for granted. And so I rejoice that I'm here with you today. 
and that together we can come around God's Word and open it up freely and openly here today and uh, want to do that in just a moment. Uh, we have a ball hockey group that meets here on Saturday mornings, a uh, bunch of dads and our boys. And uh, yesterday, what we tend to do before we kind of get into playing hockey in the gym there is we, we have a, a circle time where we come together, have a little devotional and usually an icebreaker question uh, just to kind of get to, to know each other a little bit better. And uh, Little Nolan, who was, uh, he's one of our faithful ball hockey boys, he, he said, uh, Pastor Gary, I've got a, an icebreaker question for us today. Can, can we talk about our favorite miracle that Jesus did, or our favorite miracle in the Bible? And uh, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a great icebreaker. And so it was great, because that's kind of how we opened our time yesterday. We just kind of went around the circle, uh, every dad and boy just kind of sharing what, what is our favorite miracle that we read in Scripture. And there were some great ones, right? You got the big ones, uh, feeding the 5,000, the small ones, feeding the 4,000. Uh, you got like, the, there's funny ones. We're going to talk about one of those today. There's, there's, of course, the greatest one, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from the dead, without which none of the others matter. Uh, but it was kind of a a neat way to, to start our day, and, uh, and I want to remind you of what we read in Ephesians, and this is one of my favorite benedictions because it's, it's so powerful. Uh, Ephesians 3.20, it says, now to him who is able, actually, can we read this together? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, that is a a great, big, bold display of the awesome power of our God. It's, it's an incredible prayer. In fact, that is what this little passage is about. When it says he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, when it says all we ask, that's referring to what? It's prayer. He's able to do more than we can pray for. When it says he's able to do more than we can imagine, that's referring to our thoughts what we think of God, our concept of God. That is, he is is way, way bigger than what we can imagine in our minds. This is really motivating for me. It's really convicting for me because I don't know about you, but for me, my prayers can sometimes fall into a rut. I'm really good at praying really small prayers. If I'm being honest, even though I love this benediction, sometimes the way I pray is more according to God's measurable power. Uh, I pray according to what I ask and what I think he can do or what seems realistic to me. That is not what this is saying. This is, uh, this is really important. There's a difference, I think, between knowing that God can do immeasurable things in his awesome power and believing and expecting that he will do amazing things in his 
immeasurable, immense power. I mean, we get it, right? We get it up here. Yeah, our God, yes, we, he can do anything. And yet, do we get it? Do we get it here? Do we see it? Do we experience the immeasurable power of God at work within us in our lives? That's a question only you can answer. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Acts chapter 12 today. We're going to pick up this series that uh, we've slowly been tracking through this incredible book, the most important work of church history, because it's divine, it's inspired. And uh, we come to this really, really great chapter, Acts chapter 12. And as you're turning there, I love that sound of pages flipping. The church had been growing in leaps and bounds. How? Through persecution. The suffering and scattered church of Jesus Christ they had spread out after Stephen was stoned in Acts chapter 8, killed. He was the first martyr. Then, of course, Saul goes on his rampage, scattering the church everywhere. Believers going abroad, but doing what? They didn't, they didn't just flee. They, they fled spreading the word of God. They, they went everywhere telling people about Jesus, about the good news of Christ. And so the gospel spread and churches were planted. And we saw this incredible church planted a couple weeks ago in Antioch, right? When we looked at that passage there in Acts 11, this first multi-ethnic church made up of Jews and Gentiles, it became a launching pad for Christian missions worldwide. Just this incredible church in Antioch. And that's kind of where we pick up our story here. And we're just going to do this a little differently today. Instead of just reading through this passage all in one fell swoop and then going back over it. I, we're just going to take it one little bit at a time today and just let this story unfold as God has revealed it through the pen of Luke. And here's what we read. Beginning at verse 1 of Acts chapter 12, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. Okay, so before we go any further, King Herod, uh, which King Herod is Luke talking about? Because Herod is a pretty popular name in the New Testament. There's, there's a bunch of Herods. None of them are good. Uh, and, and this guy, this guy was uh, particularly not great. Um, this was Herod Agrippa I by his full name. Um, we're we're going to read about Herod Agrippa II later on in Acts, but this guy, Herod Agrippa I, was the grandson of the famous Herod the Great. Of course, Herod the Great was famous for slaughtering the babies after the Magi's visit in Matthew 1, which we talked about a few weeks ago. And Herod the Great had a son named Herod Antipas, another Herod. There's Herod the Great, Herod Antipas, who was one of his sons, and Herod Antipas was famous for beheading John the Baptist. So we got Herod the Great slaughtering all the babies, trying to wipe out Jesus from the beginning. He couldn't do it, of course. Then we've got Herod Antipas, who lopped off the head of John the Baptist, and now we've got Herod Agrippa here. And much like his grandfather and his uncle, these other Herods, Herod Agrippa hated Jesus. He hated Jesus' followers. In fact, he was deeply threatened by the radical spread of Christianity and the ever-growing power of the church, which was spreading everywhere, as I've mentioned. And so 
he set out to persecute the church, as we read there. And that word means to inflict misery upon the church. That was his mission. That was his motivation. Misery specifically through murder, because something happens in verse 2 that is very, very important. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. So Herod Agrippa sets his sights on the big three apostles, right? Jesus, his inner circle, the closest three, Peter, James, and John. James and John were, of course, brothers, the sons of Zebedee, also known as sons of thunder. We read that in Mark 3.17. And, and so Agrippa sets his sight. He, he takes out James. He arrests him. We're, that's not mentioned here, but he would have arrested him, tried him, and executed him. He's put to death with the sword, which, by the way, implies beheading. According to church history, that's exactly what happened. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. And so, of course, this would have been devastating for the church. One of their primary leaders being killed, executed like this. Of course, he wasn't the first one to be killed. I mentioned Stephen. We saw that. Stephen was the first martyr, the first follower of Jesus killed for his faith. Well, James was the first apostle, the first of the original 12 who followed Jesus to be martyred. And by the way, Jesus had actually called it. He had foretold this. You might recall this is a really interesting conversation in Mark 10. James and John, the brothers, kind of make this really bodacious request of Jesus. They said, Jesus, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Obviously, they had a pretty high estimation of themselves at this point. And Jesus said, you, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And of course, he was referring to his death on the cross. They had no idea of that. So what they say, verse 39, yeah, we can. Jesus said to them, you will. You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. So the point is, Jesus had called this, and James being executed was the fulfillment of Jesus' promise here. So the church was grieved. And the, the thing is, though the church was in mourning, the Jews were celebrating. This pleased the Jews because they hated Christians. They saw Christianity as a threat. It was this, this growing sect that, that, that they were rebel rousers. These Jesus followers, these little Christs, these Christians, we talked about that term a couple weeks ago, spreading all this good news everywhere. They hated them. And so that's what we see there in verse 3. When Herod Agrippa saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. So here's the thing about Herod Agrippa. He, he was a people pleaser. You know why? Because he was a glory lover. See, when he pleased the people, they praised him. They gave him glory, and he loved that. that. That just puffed up his ego. That scratched him right where he itched. So he did that all he could. He pleased the people all he could so that they would praise him all the more. He hated Jesus, though. He hated Christians. And so seeing that James's death pleased the Jews, he's like, okay, who am I going for next? Well, let's go for the kingpin of the church, the, the main pastor of the church, the leader, Peter. That's what he did. He had Peter arrested. He proceeded to seize Peter also, we read here. 
Now, Herod Agrippa might not have been the smartest guy, not quite the sharpest tool in the shed, because this happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so here's the thing, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, a very important sacred festival, a very important celebration for the Jews. And so during this time, during this season of feasting and celebrating what? Celebrating Israel's deliverance from Egypt, the Exodus, right? That's what they're celebrating. During this time, there was no trials permitted in order to honor that celebration. So, I mean, Agrippa knew that, and yet, oh, shoot, okay, I've arrested Peter. Okay, just throw him in jail, and we'll wait until Passover is over. And then it says this, this happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, Agrippa put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Should say four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So he had to wait. So here's the thing. <clears throat> he knew he knew he wanted Peter dead. Agrippa, that was his, that was what he wanted to see happen. Just as James had been killed, he, he intended to kill Peter, but he couldn't, because again, it was the middle of the Passover. So he has him thrown in prison, and he has him put under the guard of 16 soldiers, if I'm doing my math right. And I'm not really good at math, um, but four times four is 16. Uh, That's 16 soldiers, four squads of four soldiers covering three-hour shifts of night watch as he's in prison. Wow. Does that not seem like a lot of soldiers for, for one guy? Like, was Peter that threatening? Was, was he that much of a, of a flight risk? Well, kind of. <laughs> Do you recall way back in Acts chapter 5? Do you remember what happened there? Peter and John are thrown in prison. Remember this? It said, during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. You remember that amazing story? And they could have taken off, but they didn't. What did they do? They went back out into the courtyard and kept preaching the gospel, <laughs> right? And the next day, the, the guards, the chief priests, the, the captain of the temple, they, they are baffled. They have no idea how Peter and John escaped, Okay, so back to Acts 12. Herod would have definitely known about this. He would have been informed by the Sanhedrin about how Peter and John had escaped. So he probably thought to himself, okay, I'm not leaving anything to chance with this guy. I want him dead. I can't do that yet. So I'm going to really beef up security for him in prison. That's what I'm going to do. 16 soldiers. That ought to do it. So we come to verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison by the church. Uh, Sorry, Peter was kept in prison, but the church. (laughs) Oh man, there's a sermon in there. Uh, But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Peter was kept in prison. What was the church doing? Say it with me. Earnestly praying to God for him. Okay, this is really important here. So the church did not, I'm going to take a drink. The church did not protest. The church did not try to put together a plan to break Peter out of prison. The church did not um, make up signs, picket picket signs and go down and, and march in front of the jailhouse. This isn't fair. What did they do? They they prayed. They they prayed to God for 
Peter. Um, my friends, this is a, such an important reminder of the absolute importance and prominence of prayer. In the early church, it was their first response. And notice they prayed earnestly, that word earnestly. I don't know whether we understand that. Do you know where we see this word? Do you know who prayed earnestly? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed, we read that in Luke 22, 44, being in anguish. Jesus prayed more earnestly, so earnestly that sweat was, his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. He was in agony. That speaks to the emotional state of the believers here, my friends. They are praying earnestly for Peter. I'm going to ask you a question. When do you pray the hardest? Think about that. I bet I can tell you it's when you or someone you love is in danger or trouble. Right? That's when we pray like we mean it. James had just been killed, presumably after being arrested and tried. Now, no doubt, I'm guessing the church had prayed earnestly for James too, for his release, right? And, but here's the thing, God did not answer their prayer that way, the way perhaps they thought he should. James was indeed released, released from his body of pain and promoted, of course, to glory, which of course for James was better by far, but the church, they were devastated by this. And yet it was a reminder that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But what we know is that he knows best. He knows what is best. And he will do what is best. And he gives and takes away according to his perfect will. And so we say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And so, my friends, it's looking like the same thing's going to happen to Peter. In their eyes, in the church's eyes, man, James died and now it's Peter's next. And so they're desperate. Their prayer was desperate. It was earnest. It was pleading on behalf of their leader, their pastor, Peter. Please, Lord, please help him. Please be with him. Please protect his life. Spare his life. They didn't want to see him killed like James and like Stephen before him. And so that's the scene here. They are praying earnestly for Peter. And so as Herod doubles down on the guards, the church gets down on their knees in prayer. That is how they fight back. Again, it's not a protest. It's not a picket line. It's prayer. Um, I was thinking about that amazing passage in Ephesians 6 where the Apostle Paul teaching the Ephesian church about spiritual warfare. He says this. Here's here's what you got to do. He said, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and when you have done everything to stand. Now, I've not included all the verses. I'm going to read you the, the ones in between here. He says, you put that armor on, you stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And you know what's funny? That's verse 17. We think that pretty much covers it. That's it. That's your armor. But Paul isn't done yet. There is one more important piece of weaponry. In fact, along with God's words, it's the most important one. 
Paul says this in verse 18, and pray. Pray how? In the spirit. When? On all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for who? For all the saints. And that's exactly, exactly what the church does in Acts 12. They fight on their knees. I think we have a song like that, right? When I fight, I fight on my knees in prayer. They pray earnestly, my friends, for Peter. They keep alert and they fight back. And this isn't just a fight against Herod's imprisonment and his oppression. It's a fight against Satan's spiritual forces of evil. They get on, and we talked about this uh, with our boys when we kind of go through the armor. You got to include the walkie-talkie of prayer, right? I think John Piper coined that one. He said this wartime walkie-talkie of prayer. Because it's, we have a direct line to the commander-in-chief. Herod thought he was in charge. He wasn't. God was. The church knew that. So that's who they go to for help in this time of need. My friends, prayer isn't passive. It's not retreating. It's advancing. It's storming the enemy. And it's powerful because it is the act of placing our absolute dependence and confidence in our sovereign God who hears the prayers of his people and is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, leading us in prayer. Okay. I'm going to ask you a really hard question. When conflict comes in your life, when trials come your way, is it your natural reaction, be honest, to take matters into your own hands first or to leave matters in God's sovereign hands? Is your initial response to try to figure out how you're going to deal with this problem that you now have or to pray to God and entrust the problem to him? If we're being honest, sometimes prayer is not our first response, is it? Sometimes, sadly, tragically, it's our last resort. At least that's how we treat it. If that's the case, God forgive us. (laughs) Help us to turn to you first and foremost in prayer. That's our first response and it's our best defense, my friends. Okay. So it's the night before Peter is to be brought out for trial in what would likely be, we know, a bogus hearing, a kangaroo court that had already determined he was guilty. Herod wanted him dead, just like James. And so Peter was essentially facing a death sentence the next day. And with that in mind, look at, look at verse 6. Look at this. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, I love this, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries, more soldiers, stood guard at the entrance. Uh, I think this is so cool. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm stressed out, when I'm worried, I have trouble sleeping. That affects my sleep. I'm not able to. I toss and turn. Anyone like that? Um, A few. Um... Yeah, this just is interesting because when your mind is racing, fear keeps us awake. And that does not seem to be the case for Peter. Even though he was facing his possible execution the next day, even though he was literally sandwiched between two soldiers bound with chains, (laughs) Peter was fast asleep. 
He's sleeping. In fact, the word sleeping is really interesting because it doesn't mean a restless sleep. It doesn't mean he just kind of gets there. He's in a deep sleep. This word is translated, can be translated the sleep of death. This is like, he is like sawing logs if he was a snorer. He, he, was, he was passed out. I mean, he is sleeping. Why am I stressing this? Because there is no indication whatsoever that Peter was worried. He, uh, he was probably in REM sleep. I'm told that's kind of where you want to get to, the rapid eye movement sleep. Uh, is that the good kind where you're dreaming? Is that what's happening there? I don't know what he was dreaming about. Um, but he was there. He was at peace. He was experiencing, I think, the reality that the Apostle Paul would later describe to the Philippians when he commanded them, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. The church had been doing that for him. I'm sure he had been doing that in his own right. And then look at verse 7. And when you do that, when you pray in and about everything, in every situation, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Wow. I I believe he was at peace because God, through Jesus, was guarding his heart. That word guard there is a military term. Very appropriately, it describes the way Peter was being guarded by these soldiers. Yes, in his cell, he was guarded by soldiers in that jail. But in his heart and mind, he was guarded by God in Christ Jesus. Peter knew peace that night because Peter knew Jesus Christ was with him said this before, but peace is not the absence of war or hardship or pain. It's the presence of Jesus Christ in it, with us. It's that great slogan, uh, I don't have a slide, it's don't need one. No Jesus, N-O Jesus, you don't have Jesus, you don't have peace. But if you K-N-O-W Jesus, if you know Jesus, you will know true peace. My friends, if we have repented of our sin and surrendered our lives to Jesus who died on the cross to pay for our sin and rose from the dead to defeat death and promise us and guarantee eternal life, we can know and experience this peace, his peace, the peace of the Prince of Peace himself, who, by the way, do you remember when Jesus was, was in the boat with his disciples in the middle of that like tsunami storm, fast asleep? It's a beautiful picture, right? He wasn't worried. <laughs> He's God. Doesn't have to be, but Peter seems to have that same kind of peace here. In the middle of this storm in his life, he slept in that jail cell peacefully, deeply, really deeply. And I know he slept deeply. We know it because of what happens next. Look at verse 7. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. And this is not like a dollarama tea light, right? This is, this is the light of the glory of God, right? An angel representing God. And that word light, it literally means a brilliant, radiant light fills up this cell because an angel appears in the cell. That did not wake him up. He's out. I think, I think there's stuff omitted from this story here. Because all of a sudden, we see what the angel had to do to wake Peter up from this deep sleep. Here, he struck Peter on the side. So was, at first, was he like, hey, Peter, 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 wake up. Peter, 
Start shaking them gently, maybe. You know? Cock-a-doodle-doo, Peter. Right? Rise and shine. Come on. We got to get out of here. Peter. 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 Do you guys know that movie, What About Bob? Where? No. Anyway, so shaking him. Can't get him up. So what does he do? Struck Peter on the side to wake him up. That word, if you have a King James version, it's really violent. It's, he smote Peter. It's like, oh, it's like, I think this is a wrestling move. I think it's just like he, like a kick to the midsection here, okay? To get him to wake up. And then he doesn't whisper it. He says, quick, get up, he said. And I love this line. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Oh, that's so awesome. The chains fell off his wrists. It's a beautiful line right there. Our God, my friends, is in the chain-breaking business. Yeah, these were physical chains for sure, but our God can break any chain. Spiritual chains, chains of addiction, chains of oppression, chains of sin and death, they've all been shattered through Christ Jesus, my friends. His chains fell off. I love that Charles Wesley hymn, right? My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Well, Peter did. He rose, went forth, he followed the angel of the Lord (laughs) out of the prison. Um, Now, I just had a question. Like, what was going on with the soldiers he's chained to during all this? As, like, Peter's getting, like, booted by the angel with the light shining. We have no idea. Were they frozen? Did, were they like paralyzed with fear? Did their eyes just glaze over? Was it like one of those movies where they, they freeze? We, we don't know. But we do know that they were of no consequence. There was nothing they could do. And we also know what happens next. The angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. He said, wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was actually happening. Do you know what this tells us? Peter is still like half asleep. (laughs) Man, this guy could sleep, right? He had no idea. Oh, I think this might this might not be a dream, right? Like this is this is happening, and that's what it says there. Um, He thought he was seeing a vision, right? A dream. Uh, They passed. This is great. They passed the first and second guards. And came to the iron gate leading to the city. This is so cool. It opened for them by itself. And they went through it. Okay, so just, I, I want to highlight that there. It opened for them by itself. You know, they, this is a really unique Greek word. I think it's one of the only times we find it in all the Bible. It's the word automatos. It's where we get our word automate or automation. God came up with automation. We didn't. This is the first automatic door, first automatic gate in history, and it opened because God told it to. That's so cool. This is a cool miracle. There's a bunch of them here. Uh, so they, they opened, the door opened for them, and they went through it. And then I love it that when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Okay, I'm done. You're out, right? He vanishes. And Peter's now, he's, at least he's dressed. He's got his sandals on. It's like, okay, what do I do? If you're Peter, what do you do? You probably want to go to your friends, to where you know you can hopefully find safe haven. So he goes to the home. 
as we're going to see here, of a believer, where, in fact, a home where the church was gathered doing something really important, praying for him. Uh, so Peter came to himself. This is really cool. He, he's now he's fully awake. <laughs> okay, verse 11, he's fully awake. He came to himself. He said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel. Uh, that shouldn't say reduced. That should say rescued me. <laughs> Sorry, rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. So he this was God. This was God who did it. He sees it now. This was an angel from the Lord who has miraculously sprung him from prison. He's in the middle of the street. When this had dawned in verse 12, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying for him. That night, they were praying at Mary's house for him. This is, this is my favorite part. This is, this is the best. So, okay, Peter. He knocked at the outer entrance, uh, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, okay, so he's like, he's knocking, right? Okay, probably as quietly as he could, and yet they had to hear it inside. There would have been a courtyard there and there. Okay, let's, right? Rhoda. The servant girl on duty that night, she, she makes her way out. Someone's knocking at the door in the middle of the night. They're in there praying. Her job is to go check who's at the door. She goes out there. He's like, Rhoda. Or he probably sees her through the gate. Rhoda, it's me. It's Peter. She recognized Peter's voice. She was so overjoyed. She ran back without opening the door. Ran back through the courtyard into the house. And exclaimed, Peter's at the door. It's amazing, right? Poor Peter. He's, this is not a good place for him. He's in the street, right? There's probably guards who are, well, we don't know yet if they're out looking for him. They, they will be soon. He knows that. He's a fugitive at this point. Come on. He's out in the cold. Ro Rhoda, Rhoda, Rhoda. No, she takes off. She leaves him there at the door. Okay, so this is, this is like too good to be true. Um, she tells him, Peter's at the door. Look at their response. You're crazy, girl. You're out of your mind. You're out of your mind, they told her. They, it was too good to be true in their minds. There's no way that's Peter out there at the door. Uh, th this is really, I don't want to harp on the church here, but we, we were talking about that amazing example of their earnest prayer. What we see here is that there was, there was something that was lacking in that prayer. Yes, they were passionate. Yes, they, they really wanted to see Peter free. They knew that God could do that, but they didn't believe he would. They weren't expecting this to happen. This was not on their radar. Uh, to put it back in terms of Ephesians 3... Uh, so, sorry, there it is. To him who is able to do immeasurably more. In their minds, yeah, they were praying to God that night for Peter, but they were praying according to what they expected God realistically to do. That's why I've highlighted he is able to do what we ask, what we imagine. That was, that's where they set their expectation. The bar was pretty low. Okay, God, maybe you can spare Peter's life. That's, that's, what, that's our ask here. Maybe this trial doesn't go horribly wrong tomorrow, and maybe you spare him, right? 
our God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. These believers were not praying expectantly. Uh, So when Rhoda comes claiming that Peter is out there, that was not reasonable to them. Little did they know that God had already answered their prayers beyond what they could imagine, but they didn't know it. They didn't believe it. In their minds, it was impossible. So they essentially tell Rhoda, you're crazy. God couldn't do that. He wouldn't do that, but Rhoda wouldn't let it go. Praise God for Rhoda. She kept insisting, right? That's what it says. When she kept insisting that it was so, that Peter was out there, what, what did the Christians do? They could have just gone out. They could have taken the, the little stroll, walked out through the courtyard to see if it was Peter, if she was actually telling the truth. They didn't do that. No. You know what they do? They decide to come up with a theory that will better explain this interesting phenomenon. A theologically sound way to explain someone knocking at the front door in the middle of the night claiming to be Peter as they're praying for Peter. Hmm. What, what else could this be? Because there's no way it's Peter. And so they come up with this. I got it. It's his angel. That's probably what you're seeing, Rhoda. It's Peter's angel out there. See, many Jews believed in guardian angels. Which to them, that this was a reasonable explanation. More reasonable than Peter miraculously standing outside at the, at the gate. Now, how long did they debate this? We have no idea. I hope it wasn't too long, because poor Peter. Look at Peter, he just, he just kept knocking, right? Guys, oh man, seriously. Guys, come on, right? Like you can see, he wanted to be discreet, and yet he, he needed in. He needed help. He needed them to open the door. Just open the door already, Rhoda. Help me, Rhoda. Help, help me, Rhoda. (laughs) Few got that reference. Uh, uh, And then finally, thankfully, the church goes and opens the door. When they open the door, I love this, they they were astonished, right? When they opened the door and saw him, they were were blown away. And apparently their celebration was so loud and ecstatic that Peter had to motion with his hand, verse 17, for them to be quiet. And then described how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And then he said, tell James and the other brothers about this. And then he left for another place. Wow. James, by the way, not James who was martyred, obviously. This was James, the brother of Jesus, who became the primary leader and spokesperson for the apostles at the church in Jerusalem. Peter wanted to make sure that James and the other brothers were informed about what had happened to him, this amazing thing that God had done. And then Peter leaves for another place. And my friends, Peter, who has been sort of the main character in the book of Acts to this point, this is pretty much the end of his story here. Uh, there's like one reference to him in Acts 15, but then that, that's, that's it. We, we kind of don't know the exact chronology, at least not from the book of Acts, of Peter's life from, uh, from this point on. But what we do know is that this is the last time that, that Peter really mentions him in the book of Acts. Okay, I just quickly want to wrap this story up because it's, it's so good. Um, here's what happens in the morning, okay? Next morning. I love Luke's subtlety. There was no small commotion, a.k.a. there was a huge commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards, all 16 of them, and ordered that they be executed. 
which was what would happen. You see, if a, a prisoner escaped, whatever that prisoner had coming to them, their punishment would be your punishment if you were their guard. And that's what happened. Peter had execution coming to him, and so these guards were executed. And then just to kind of wrap this story up, I'm not going to spend much time on these last few verses other than to show you, to compare how this chapter began and how it ended, okay? So this guy, Herod, what happened to him? Well, he stayed a little while. Uh, he, He went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there a while. And it says he had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him, having secured the support of a guy named Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king. They asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. Basically, these guys, they they were at odds with Herod. They wanted to get on his good side. They relied on him for their food supply. So they set up a meeting through this guy Blastus. And then we read this, on the appointed day, that appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not the voice of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. Yeah. Yeah, not good for him. Did not end well. We said he was a people pleaser, a glory lover, a Christ hater. So the book opens with Herod judging and killing James. It closes with God judging and killing Herod. But, verse 24, the word of God continued to increase and spread. Because, my friends, nothing can stop our God Nothing can thwart his plan or throw off his purposes. No amount of opposition or persecution can stop the spread of the gospel. And so, my friends, as we seek to advance the gospel here through prayer and the proclamation of it, we can engage in the spiritual battle that we are in with boldness and courage knowing that God is victorious. Jesus has paid the price for our sins. He has overcome the grave. He is exalted on high. He is the Lord of glory. And there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Not tribulation, not distress, not persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as we read in Romans 8. So how do we wrap this up? Well, let me say this. God has given us his word, my friends, to teach us, to inspire us, to challenge us, to change us, to rebuke us, to to train us in righteousness. And I believe this passage does that. May God's word in Acts 12 elevate our expectations of what our God can do, right? He can do immeasurably more, infinitely more, beyond what we can think in these little minds of ours, beyond what we can ask him in prayer. May this passage light the fire of our prayers, my friends. May it remind and teach us that as followers of Jesus, prayer should be our first response. It is our best defense in life, period. Before we talk or look to anyone or anything else for help, may we take our need to the Lord in prayer and pray earnestly like the Jerusalem church did. 
Pray expectantly, unlike the Jerusalem church. Pray confidently, joyfully, knowing that our loving Heavenly Father is sovereign. He rules over everything. He is able to do anything infinitely, again, above and beyond what we ask or think. He can break chains. He does that still. He can open prison doors. He can set the captives free. He conquers his enemies, my friends. We can trust him and come to his throne of grace because no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what hardships come your way, when we take everything to him in prayer, we can know and experience the perfect peace of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, guarding, standing like soldiers over our minds and hearts, giving us perfect peace and rest, enabling us to sleep at night. Peace is not the absence of hardship or conflict or stress or trials. It is the presence of Jesus Christ in them. My friends, may we know that peace. May we pray like we mean it, earnestly, continuously, through the night if need be, but believing, expecting that our God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, that's the truth. Help us to believe it. Help us to take you at your word to do what it says. And today, there's, there's a lot of things that, that we need to do. A lot of things that we need to change as we look at our own lives, our personal devotional lives, our lives of prayer. Father, forgive us for our wee little prayers, our routine, rote requests that we make, sometimes without even thinking about them. Lord, what a privilege it is to come before you and to be able to ask you anything and know that you hear us and know that you are awesome in your power and beyond able to do beyond what we can think or imagine. And so God, do the immeasurable, do the unimaginable for us. May we see that. Thank you for your word that confirms it. Father, we put our faith in you and thank you for your word. So God, may today we live lives that would be of great faith, not little faith. Father, and may you receive the glory as we trust in you, as we keep in step with your spirit, and as we know and experience your perfect peace, no matter what comes our way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Please stand if you're able for our last song. i